1: You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I am Peter Bukowski and I cover the Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet. And you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts, you'll find Locked On Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how you can also check us out on the all new Himalaya podcast app with their curated playlists and content designed specifically for you. We're going to talk today to Ben Fennel of the Athletic of NFL Network, the X's and O's guru, the film master himself. Ben Fennel is on the show today to talk NFL draft. We're going to get to Ben a little bit later. We have to start with the schedule because it dropped, so we know what Green Bay's schedule is going to look like. I'm not going to go through it game by game. I'm not going to go through it and make any predictions about schedule or record. What I'm going to do is say a couple things. Number one, I don't think the NFC North winner in 2019 is going to win 12 games. Chicago has one of the hardest schedules in the league first-place schedule, plus all NFC North teams have the NFC East and the AFC West. That includes playoff teams like Philly, like Dallas, like the Chargers, like the Chiefs. The Chiefs were a drive in the AFC Championship game against the Patriots from going to the Super Bowl. And the Cowboys and the Eagles Both won playoff games. So those are difficult games in that division. Washington and New York, not particularly difficult. Denver and Oakland, not particularly difficult. And given the schedule for Green Bay, those are games that Green Bay should win. They're not fully layups, but they're pretty close. And if they win those games, if they win those four against those other teams, right, that's four wins, obviously. There's 12 games left in the year. You go 500 in those games, you get to 12 wins. Now, the problem is there's a lot of tough games outside of those four. The good news for Green Bay is one of those playoff teams they face in Philadelphia at home on a short week. Now, that short week is week four. So it's not like there's huge wear and tear already on the season, but that is still an advantage. The home team on Thursday night has a huge historical advantage uh, against their opponent. Okay, so we're at five and you expect to win your home games against division rivals. All right, so that's eight. If you beat Chicago at home, you beat Detroit at home, you beat Minnesota at home. That's eight. They have Carolina at home. They should win that game. That's nine. Now you're you're on the verge of playoff contention. You're right there. I think 11 wins is going to win this division. You If you get to 11, you are essentially guaranteeing yourself this division because it's just going to be a dogfight. Minnesota is going to be good. Chicago is going to be good. I think they're going to regress defensively, but they're going to be good again. And Detroit is going to be better than they were. So if you're Green Bay, you look at the other games on this schedule. So I mentioned the Philly on a short week. Okay, so they should they should win that. So they're at nine wins. They have to go at KC. That's, that's tough. They got to go at Dallas. They have a good chance to win that, but that's going to be tough. They have to go to LA. And they have to go at Kansas City and to LA for the Chargers on back-to-back weeks. That's tough. What they're going to have to do is In that group of at Chicago, at Minnesota, at San Francisco, at Detroit, you got to win two of those games. If they can win two of those games, they get to 11. If they can win three of those games, I think at San Francisco is the best case, so now they're at 10. They're in the playoffs. 10 is going to get you a wild card. Can you beat Chicago in week one on the road? That Thursday night doesn't really matter. It's week one. It's the opening night. If you win that game, you're in the driver's seat for the division. And you put yourself in position to be a top two seed. Because outside of the Rams and the Saints, there aren't a lot of other great options for that top seed. It's going to be the North in all likelihood. So, you know, if the Saints fall back a little bit, if the Rams fall back a little bit, if they have injuries, you could be in position to get that first round by. This schedule is, it is not unworkable. Let me say that. It is is manageable. Now, we don't know what the team is going to look like. We don't know if they're going to respond well to Matt LaFleur. They, they go eight weeks to open the season without leaving the central time zone. They start at Chicago, home for Minnesota, home for Denver, home for Philly, at Dallas, home for Detroit, home for Oakland, at Kansas City. They don't leave the central time zone until November 3rd going to face the Chargers. That's a ton of home games and it's short travel windows. So early on, you build that comfort zone with Matt LaFleur. You get a little bit of momentum. I mean, even if they lose that week one game, they should be three and one going to Dallas. You win that game, you're four and one. You should win the next two. Now you're six and one heading on this on this road trip at KC at LA. Worst case scenario, you're six and three. You're home for Carolina. You should win that game at home in November. You're 7-3. and three. You get your bye week. You go to San Francisco. If you can win that game, you can get to 12. You have to go to New York. You should win that game. You're home for Washington, home for Chicago. Home for Chicago is certainly not a guarantee, but in December against a rival, you expect your team to win those games. You have to go to Minnesota week 16. That's tough and you have to go to Detroit to close. You have to figure somewhere in there you're going to lose a silly game. So that's best case scenario is 12 wins. I think more likely you're 11, you're in that 10-11 range. Cynthia Freeland from NFL Network predicted 10 and 6. Rob Domofsky from ESPN predicted 9 and 7. I think that's I I think that's the basement for this team. But again, when you look at the the worst teams on the schedule, you've got Oakland, you've got Denver, you've got New York, and you've got Washington. Those are four wins you should bank. If you can win half of the rest of your games, if you go 500 against decent teams, you should be a 12-win team. Now, that's a big ask in year one with a new coach and a new offense. But they have the talent to do it. And if they can, if they can, I said this to a friend of mine who's a Bears fan the other day. I said, you know, look, the Mitch Trubisky picked up Matt Nagy's offense right away. Jared Goff picked up Sean McVay's offense right away. And Carson Wentz really did pick up Doug Peterson's offense right away. But Matt Ryan and the Falcons did not quite get in sync with Kyle Shanahan's offense right away. If Green Bay is closer to what the Rams looked like with Goff or the Bears looked like with Trubisky early on, if they can get that rhythm going early, I think they're the favorites in the division. If they can't, if they look more like the Falcons, then you ha- you start to have questions. I think right now we are more certain about what the Bears look like. They're a 12-win team. Even with a regression in their defense, they're a 10 10- maybe 11-win team, and the difference could be that Week 15 game at Lambeau. It depends on how many wins the Packers have already banked. If they can look like you're one of McVay with the Rams, you're one of the Bears with Trubisky, even though that Matt Nagy's offense was not explosive consistently, they looked better. They didn't look like a John Fox team. And if Green Bay can get that going, and they have obviously a much better quarterback and, a, in my opinion, a better group of skilled players than Chicago did last year, they have the opportunity right away to be a top five, top six offense. I mean, even with the struggles last year, they were seventh in DVOA with Mike McCarthy's offense, with Aaron Rodgers' issues, playing with a literal broken leg. The defensive improvements we think are coming. This is a double-digit win team. And if they hit this draft out of the park, that could be the difference between ten wins and eleven or twelve wins, and and that is something that they they, I mean clearly that's something they hope for. But that is going to be the difference between potentially winning this division and competing for a first round bye and scrapping and clawing for a wild card team. We're going to talk to Ben Fennell about that draft and how they could put together a draft like that in just a second.
0: David Harrison here, the Locked On Washington Football Team podcast, celebrating with you a twenty-one grain salute to a less boring sandwich, thanks to Dave's killer one organic bread for a reason it tastes so stinking good dave's killer bread is made with the highest quality organic and non-gmo ingredients and is power packed with whole grains fiber and protein visit daveskillerbread.com to learn more and look for dave's killer bread in the bread aisle of your local grocery store
1: all right it's time to bring in ben fennel you can follow him on twitter at ben fennel underscore nfl he writes for the athletic wisconsin you can see his expert tape work uh, around the NFL Network, especially this time of year. He does a ton of great work on Twitter, tape breakdowns, and prospect breakdowns. So you should be following him already. Go check his work out everywhere you can find him. Ben, thanks for joining Lockdown Packers.
2: Always a pleasure to hop on with you, Peter
1: so we are quickly approaching the NFL draft uh, and this is a really exciting time of year if you're a Packers fan if you're in the Packers front office because the Packers have two first round picks three picks in the top 50 before we we speak specifically about them and and what they should be doing players that they could be interested in you have watched a lot of these dudes who have been a couple players, that have just really impressed you guys that if you're in any room, you're going to pound the table for?
2: Yeah, you know, each draft cycle as you're watching film, you kind of just fall in love with some guys and something you saw on tape or the way they flash, and you develop some draft crushes. And I love the mean, mauling offensive linemen. So when I see some nasty offensive linemen looking to finish you into the ground and playing through that echo of the whistle like Dalton Risner does at uh, Kansas State University, those guys, I just fall in love with. Cody Ford of Oklahoma is another big, nasty offensive lineman that just wants to maul you. And, you know, sometimes things don't go right with these offensive linemen. Sometimes you get your foot stepped on, or your hands knocked down, or you take a bad step. You got to be able to scrap your way out. You got to be able to maul. So I like these guys that are willing to fight you a little bit and play to the whistle. And there's always these guys that are skilled players and these hybrid gadget players. I love Debo Samuel out of South Carolina. I just think he does everything. Uh, outstanding for running the ball, yards after catch, quick game routes, he could win down the field. And to see him punt gunning as a senior coming off a broken fibula last year and doing it with a high intensity and a high effort, I mean, that's a guy I want on my football team. And, you know, University of Memphis running back receiver Tony Pollard, I think is a late-round version of Debo Samuel. He's another guy that I've had a tremendous crush on this draft cycle. And there's guys all over the place, like Andre Dillard and Hakeem Butler and AJ Brown's a lot of fun and all sorts of corners and safeties in this draft and all sorts of shapes and sizes. And some are hitters and linear missiles and some have coverage ability. Some have range on the back end, like a Deontay Thompson or a small little spark plug, like a Darnell Savage Jr. from Maryland. I just think the defensive back group in this draft, there's so many different shapes and sizes and abilities. There's a lot to like in that group.
1: Yeah, no question. We're going to, we're going to get to safeties in a little bit. Uh, There is, I think, an important conversation to be had, and it's one that we've had on the show about how you build a team and the way that that you view the importance of position when you're looking at where guys are playing and where they might be able to help your team. If you're a team in the top 10, the top 15, are there positions where you're going, I don't know about the positional value of taking a player at this spot, or are you just saying, give me the guy that's going to help my team?
2: Yeah, I mean, you always have to weigh the positional value versus the collective depth of the position in the draft versus your team needs and versus the emphasis in your scheme and how important that player is or may not be. Um, You know, if you have a great outside zone stretch team, that has a different skill set and a need for your offensive linemen that are maybe a, a gap scheme power running team. So it all depends on what you do and where you may have a hole. And when you look at the Green Bay Packers and alleviating some of that pressure in free agency and making some of those needs not as glaring and giving them some more draft flexibility to maybe move up and down the board or not have to go you know, all in at one particular position. It just gives them a little bit more flexibility uh, when you can address some of these needs in free agency as well.
1: Yeah, no question. Uh, you know, the Brian Gutekunst has answered, and Matt LaFleur, you know, he wasn't in the old draft room, so he can't really speak to it. But when you look at what we expect from this Matt LaFleur offense, how different do you think what Green Bay looks for in a player uh, is it going to be now? And do they have more or less the personnel to do what Matt LaFleur is going to want to do?
2: Personnel-wise, and what they need uh, from a skill set and a trait basis, I don't think is going to be a whole lot different. It's still, you know, uh, 2019 NFL. You need guys to stretch the field horizontally, laterally. You need offensive linemen with athleticism. You want three down running backs. You obviously want a scat back, a change of pace. I think the needs are still pretty you know, similar across the board for a Matt LaFleur-led team versus a Mike McCarthy-led team. What I think is just going to – be different is the optics of the scheme. And I think we're going to have a little bit more of an identity on offense, a little bit more of a foundation, and we're going to see some of the same things over and over again from the same personnel, the same look, the same formations, and continue to build and add wrinkles off of that and getting defenses, for lack of better words, on their heels and guessing on what the Packers are going to do, which you really should always be in a threatening mode when you have the most talented passer of the football in Aaron Rodgers, And a prolific offense and these weapons of Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones and Jimmy Graham, every drive you should be putting defenses on their heels and threatening them. And I just think Matt LaFleur is going to install a scheme and give them an identity to attack defenses in 2019.
1: I mean, that that sounds great, uh, to be honest. After after what we've seen from Mike McCarthy for so long, I, I think it's just exciting if you do what we do and, and study the team on a day-to-day basis, that there's going to be this newness, that there's going to be this excitement about the team.
2: Yeah, I agree. I just feel like the offense was a bit of a Rolodex offense over the past couple of years, and they never really had a true identity. and They almost took on different forms from a drive-to-drive basis. and. Uh, I think having more of a consistent, streamlined scheme and identity to their offense is really going to help the collective success.
1: So as you look at this team and, and where they're picking, if you were going to put together a game plan uh, of where you think the players are in this draft and where you think you know they fit with what Green Bay wants to do, would you go in with a game plan and say, here's where I see value, and so at 12, you know, here's this cluster of players I really like, at 30, here's this cluster of players?
2: Yeah, absolutely, because you have to weigh the positional depth as well. And, you know, when I look at the 12th pick and some of the maybe the positional needs with the Packers, and just take linebacker, for example, there's yeah. a clear drop off after Devin White and Devin Bush. And there may not be as many mid round, late round, day three project players to develop behind the scenes and fill out your roster with. So you really have to weigh the positional depth and the drop off of your different tiers. And that if you have a huge drop off from your 12th uh, group of players and your 30th group of players that may incline you to be a bit more aggressive with certain positions.
1: All right. So l- l- give me, give me two or three names at 12, that could be realistically available that you go, if this guy is on the board, just run the card to the commissioner.
2: You know, I think there's going to be a run on quarterbacks. Like we always see, I think there's going to be a run on some edge rushers and those premier positions. Um, I could definitely see a realistic scenario that if I see Devin Bush the University of Michigan sitting there at 12, I'm running that card in. I think there's a chance one of these edge rushers may fall to 10 to 15 range, whether that's 12 to the Packers or 13 of the Redskins, whether that's Brian Burns or Montez Sweat or Cleon Farrell. I just think there's going to be some trickle-down effect with some of these premier edge rushers in this class. And I think the offensive line group is another one that's kind of up in the air, and I see all sorts of different – mocks and projections from Jonah Williams and Cody Ford and Dalton Risner and where they are in the pecking order of the first round. It's kind of an interesting draft because some of those premier positions like receiver and corner, there's a uh, bit to still be decided if there's actually any first round talents in those positions. So it's an interesting draft and some of these positions are all over the place with their values.
1: Yeah, and, and given that it seems like the value of this draft is sort of like 25 to 55, it, it's nice that for the Packers that they have 30 and 44 to just sort of pick guys off. Okay, this guy's falling. They have the opportunity to grab him. You know, DK Metcalf is someone that I think if you, if you gave most Packer fans the option at 12, they would say no way. But if all of a sudden he's there at 30, given his ability to stretch the field at his size, and what Matt Lafleur wants to do vertically with shot plays—I mean, all of a sudden, that could be really tantalizing. It's all about the the situation that you're in when you're in it. I'm wondering from if you're sitting there at 30, let's say, and there is all, there are all of these these safeties that are available. Is there someone that you, that you would like there? And and let's say there's also a tight end on the board. If you have to pick between two of those guys that you, you think are more or less the same, if you're the Packers, what kind of decision would you make?
2: You know, that's a great question. And I think that 30th pick and 44, you're going to have to kind of jump and jive to the ebbs and flows of the draft and see how the board falls. And maybe somebody that you had a really high value on is going to trickle down and it becomes an easy pick for you guys. And I think that's a, just a two premier spots to see how the board falls to you. And there's going to be a lot of day two value kind of in that ballpark to go get. But when I look at the safety group of this draft, there's so many different intriguing players and in shapes and sizes and abilities. It's going to be very exciting to see what teams covet certain abilities more or less. Cause I kind of have a lot of these guys clumped up into day two, mm-hmm. whether you're Juan Thornhill, the former corner turned safety or Amani hooker with the good, football instincts and zone ability or Deontay Thompson's back-end range. You see a guy like Taylor Rapp, who's just a ball magnet, but didn't test particularly well. So there's some other safeties like Rapp, who's projecting to be a little bit more of a box safety and closer to the line of scrimmage. So whatever your needs are on the back end, I think there's a player for you in the kind of second and third round range. But when you're talking 30 and 44 at the Packers and weighing that versus a tight end, I mean, I love TJ Hawkinson. I don't think there's any way in the world he's going to be available at 30. That would probably have to be a pick at 12 for them. So aside from TJ Hawkinson, I think there's some day three value at tight end. But these safeties and defensive backs are much more intriguing prospects. I think it's much safer picks and much more NFL ready, in my opinion.
1: So if you're sitting there at 30, you're looking at some of these these, these safety types and saying, look, we can get a tight end on day three, and history history does bear that out.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's going to be some intriguing day three options at tight end, whether that's Trevon Wesco from West Virginia who blocks very well, or Tommy Sweeney. And if you want some big, sexy pass-catching options, there'll be that as well. That's Keenan Brown from Texas State via Oklahoma State, who's a very intriguing athletic option, or Cajal Waring from San Diego State is starting to build some steam with his athleticism. So I think the uh, tight end group, there's a little bit more – of day three intriguing developmental options and uh, maybe passing up some of these more premier safety options in the second round.
1: Now, how much of this, you had a little tweet thread about this the other day, and I thought this was fascinating. How much of your assessment there is predicated on the idea that Matt LaFleur and in the bones of this Kyle Shanahan uh, offense, Mike Shanahan offense can create opportunities for maybe a lesser-talented tight end.
2: Yeah, you know, I went back and I watched a lot of the explosive plays from the uh, 2018 Tennessee Titans, which was offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur, and I'm watching Jonu Smith, and I'm watching uh, Luke Stocker, and their third tight end, uh, McCoyle Pruitt, had to play a little bit with Delaney Walker out, and I'm watching all these plays, and, oh, that's schemed open. Oh, that's off play action. Oh, they got him open there, and I'm realizing – we don't need this big, sexy, dynamic tight end that gets himself open and runs 4 5 or four, five, zero like a Jimmy Graham or even a Noah Fant that a lot are projecting from the University of Iowa. The whole idea behind Sean McVay's scheme and Kyle Shanahan's scheme and now Matt LaFleur's scheme is intent. And you have to be able to, d- to disguise your intent. And that's through personnel, and that's through being able to do what you're doing in the run game on early downs and making the pass game an extension of your run game. And the only way you can do that is by disguising intent. So you need players that are excellent or efficient players in the run game. First and foremost, that you can excel in the run game. You can seal off uh, defensive ends on the backside. You get movement at the point of attack. You're not a liability in the run game. Then we can scheme you open off a play action and you work in all those cool wrinkles off of the run action where everything looks the same, the formation's the same, the personnel is the same. And I just saw a video on Packers.com of Larry McCarron breaking down some Rams offense to try to tell you exactly why this is going to be exciting and it's going to work in Green Bay. But he's talking about the condensed formations, and it was a big second down touchdown pass to Cooper Cup off play action. The whole point of that was they came out with the exact same formation look and personnel on first down. Then went hurry up on second down, the same exact run action, except this time, whoop, there's play action off of it. You got Cooper Cup on a linebacker, and he took it a 75-yard touchdown. And that's exactly what Matt LaFleur is going to do. He's going to install a scheme and an identity, but in order to do that, you have to have players that you can disguise your intent. And when I'm talking about disguising intent, that's the opposite of Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham is a pass-catching vertical threat that you cannot necessarily disguise intent with Jimmy Graham because – He's not an efficient blocker in line.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that was a fascinating video that, that Larry did. And it was even, even helpful because it was against the Vikings. So it's a defense Green Bay is going to see twice a year. So to, to use that as an example, I thought was really cool. It will it will definitely be interesting to see how this offense changes. And one of the ways that I think that they can do that is you mentioned that, that scat back, pass catching, running back. That is someone that Green Bay does not have. They have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, guys who fit what Matt LaFleur want to do from a run game standpoint, but they don't have that that different look. Is there someone in this draft, you mentioned Tony Pollard, is there another guy or is he the guy that if you were going to say, just pick a name that can come in and do that for Green Bay, who is it?
2: Yeah, you know, I love the gadget guys and the Debo Samuel, Tony Pollard mold like we had mentioned earlier. So maybe true kind of, Speed demon returners like a McCole Hardman from the University of Georgia, who had no problem cruising right past 4 3 Tony Brown in the national championship game last year, uh, running a big box fade. But some of these scat backs are really intriguing in this draft. You look at James Williams from Washington State, who just broke the Pac 12 record for receptions by a running back. He's undersized, he's about 5'10, 190 pounds, but he's a very, very good receiver out of the backfield. Has some flashes of a Christian McCaffrey type of ability. Has really good contact balance. He's elusive in the open field. But first and foremost, he has very, very reliable hands, and that's what you need to have a back uh, on third down. And I look at Darwin Thompson, this little kind of Darren Sproles clone from Utah State. Looks like he has some ability in the pass game as well. But even if we don't target one of these gadget or scat backs, I think Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones have some ability to add to the pass game as well, Mm -hmm. whether that's in the screen game or maybe sneaking Aaron Jones down the field like we saw last year on Monday night scoring a touchdown against the Seattle Seahawks. I think there is some talent on the team to still kick around. All
1: right, so just put on Brian Gutekind's suit for a second and take me – through what if you could just wave your magic wand and say these are the guys that I want at 12 30 and 44 let's say that make the most sense for Green Bay you're you're the GM in this in this situation who are your guys at those spots
2: at 12 right now I have three guys in mind I would love to see TJ Hawkinson first and foremost if Brian Burns falls I'm intrigued by having a quick step flexible edge player the compliment the hopper of edge players they already have. I think he'd be a great compliment to more of a brute edge setter of a Preston Smith, and as a Darius Smith obviously has some more positional flexibility to kick inside on some sub-package downs. So I really like Brian Burns as a compliment to the hopper of pass rushers that they already have here. Um, I would love to see Devin Bush at 12. He's another player that I think could just really add some attitude, intensity, explosive playmaking in the middle of the defense of the Packers, which I think affects every level of the defense. That linebacker position is such a nucleus and really affects your safeties behind you, your defensive line in front of you. It helps out your corners if you can make plays sideline to sideline. So just, I don't think we've ever had a caliber of athlete like a Devin Bush or even a Devin White as a linebacker with the Green Bay Packers. But, man, if there's a chance a player like Ed Oliver falls to 12 and having someone that could just shoot up fields and be a gap penetrator and a disruptor, That's somebody I would love at 12 as well. And when I'm looking at 30, that's that position I really want to bolster the offensive line. And I know Cole Madison's back with the team and has some guard tackle flexibility. I know they went and signed Billy Turner with some guard tackle flexibility. I'm not set. I think you can never go wrong bolstering the trenches on either side of the ball, adding depth because depth wins in the NFL and it will always be tested. So I would love to see a Dalton Risner or even a Jonah Williams or another one of these guard-tackle hybrids with a little bit more of an edge to them. I would love to see one of these maulers out there that play with some nasty, like a Dalton Risner. And then 44, I just want to see where the board falls and see maybe if they have a higher-rated safety that fell to them, whether that's a Darnell Savage or a Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from University of Florida or even a uh, Amani Hooker from Iowa. And there's going to be a lot of intriguing safety options where I think they really have to fix that back into the defense Tremont Williams is obviously 36 years old. Josh Jones has been playing a bit out of position on the back end. So they have some uh, some identity to figure out there. But again, 44, if one of these premier receivers are falling down the board and Hakeem Butler is there or A.J. Brown or maybe even an Akeel Harry falls, these guys all aren't all going to go in the first round. There's going to be some intriguing value. So I think 44 is a very reactive position. we are just going to see how the board falls, and that's a good spot to fill out your roster with a quality player.
1: No question about it, Ben. I appreciate your time as always. Let the listeners know where they can find more of the work that you do.
2: Yeah, so you can follow me over on Twitter at uh, Ben Fennell, B-E-N-F-E-N-N-E-L-L underscore NFL. And you can find a lot of my work on uh, NFL Network. I'm working hard on our draft coverage. And uh, I'm a contributor over at The Athletic Wisconsin. So I'll be pumping out film breakdowns all during the season. I have a couple draft recaps of the Packers picks I'm going to be pumping out in the next few weeks i also working on an off-season project with Aaron Jones and digging into his film and some of his UTEP film and uh, taking a look at some of the schemes and skill sets that have made him a successful football player up to this point in his career. So, very excited time, and uh, it's a gift that keeps on giving this time of year with the draft. No question about it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks a lot, Peter.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shell.
3: The one with a subscription that delivers new brush heads for just $5. Your teeth deserve this one. Philips One by Sonicare. One up your brushing. Learn more at philips.com one. That's P-H-I-L-I-P-S dot com slash O-N-E.
1: All right, I want to thank Ben for joining the program. Always great work from him, and if you're not following him again, you absolutely must. He does great work, all the stuff he does around the Packers in the season. His film breakdowns after the games are must-read for any Packers fans. I was saying that all season, but I know we've got uh, you know a host of new listeners this off season. so go find the work that he does. He is um, really a, a priceless resource for Packer fans, so go check that out. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Lockdown Packers. while you're following Ben. Go do that. We're going to have Jason Hershorn on the show tomorrow. Some more draft talk with him, a little bit more Packers talk specifically. Some news that have come out talking about the Packers quarterback questions. Should they take one? Should they trade for Josh Rosen? Some of those questions we're going to get into with Jason tomorrow. And while you're at it, while you're on the Twitter machine, buy underscore JBH. Go follow him there. That's going to be our last show for tomorrow. And then next week, we start into the previews. The 12th pick on Monday. We're going to start there. Who are the options? What are the options Green Bay has in terms of using that pick or trading down? Is something else they're going to be looking at On Tuesday, we're going to go pick 30 Wednesday, 44 And on Thursday, 75 In preparation for the show There's actually probably going to be six shows next week So we're going to have the Thursday preview show The Thursday night draft reaction show And then the Friday night draft reaction show as well Following Monday We're going to tie it all together Remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, and on the all-new Himalaya Podcast app. Leave us a review. Follow us on Facebook. Everywhere you find Locked on Packers, check us out. We're there. We're trying to serve your needs, create content for you. And anytime you want to hit us up on the Locked on Packers fan hotline, I'm sure you're going to have thoughts about the draft picks next week. So hit me up there, 920-341-3775, and stay Locked on Packers.